We had seven cases of frostbite, four cases of strep throat, two cases of pneumonia, and only three cases of Napoleon brandy. <laughs> Welcome to the episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brand Sparks, and here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. I don't have Thomas again with me this week, but I do have a returning guest, and that is Hunter Barcroft. Hunter, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here, as always. I know you've been excited, ecstatic to talk about today's movie and today and the topic of the Western genre. Um, I have I believe, been. Yeah. I believe back back in the day, you and you and Thomas had a brief episode or episode on the Western genre in this the early iterations of Cinenation. Um and I feel like you mentioned this movie a lot on that episode, if I'm not mistaken. We did. And it's it's just one of those movies that uh once you find someone else that also loves this movie, <laughs> you just talk about it f- for about an hour. And then you're like, <laughs> oh man, one of us. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll 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 talk about those some of those things we you guys talked about. I mean it's been a while. I think you guys you can't even find that episode anymore online. I'm sorry to those people who are looking for it. Um, depends on where you're looking. I don't know. Some podcast platforms might have it. But uh, so, yeah, this is part four, I guess you could say, of our genre or our genre study on the Western. And as we've talked about this entire month, is that the Western genre, there's a lot of different facets to it, a lot of different subgenres of the traditional Western, which talked about stagecoats, the revisionist Western, we talked about with Wild Bunch, um, the spaghetti Western, with Good, Bad, and the Ugly. You even have things like the neo Western, like Hell or High Water, uh, that we're, we haven't really talked about this month, but it, it does fit fit there um but yeah with the western genre it's a genre that has it's it's evolved over time as as because it's such an american genre it's evolved with the country and and kind of the culture in america um and every decade or two decades everyone feels the the western genre is dead and then something happens where it's not dead anymore either a movie comes out or a few movies come out that kind of help um push the genre forward and you always have these tropes in some way, if it's the character tropes or this idea of like manifest destiny and moving westward, they kind of all come into play. And sometimes they, again, at certain points, they evolve and they change of like, not, you can't go west anymore is the thing. The, there's not as much land to conquer or explore. Um, and today's movie is really all about kind of exploration of land a lot of the time. It's, I think... I didn't expect coming and talking about this movie today uh, in the beginning of the month, but it actually kind of creates a little bit more of a niche of a Western or a subgenre of a Western. That's like the frontier Western is another thing I wasn't thinking of because today's movie, Jeremiah Johnson, very much frontier type Frontier movie. survival. Yeah. Uh, what, but, man uh, but, against the elements. Yeah. Movie. But, but still a Western. So like it's very much fits in that realm of like the Revenant or whatever where it's like, it's a western but also like it's not cowboys and everything like that type western that you think of with the john wayne or clint eastwood or even jimmy stewart um it's not a revenge western well to some extent it might actually be um but it's very much this frontier lifestyle of the character jeremiah johnson um so yeah so so hunter you're talking you're you're taking us through this episode today so tell me about jeremiah johnson what it like give me an intro to it what's it about Uh well, the best intro that I could possibly do is the intro to the movies. Jeremiah Johnson made his way into the mountains, betting on forgetting all the troubles that he knew. And that is really a great introduction to 
kind of the setup of the movie. He, yeah. It's about a man who he was a veteran of the Mexican American war. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically decides to give up on society and on um, life back down uh, in the town, in the city to go up in the mountains and try to find some kind of uh, purpose uh, calling in life, some kind of reinvigoration of his soul. Um, which is, I guess, one of the more romantic uh, themes of, you know, this in a romantic way yeah. of thinking about nature itself, which is something that really goes hand in hand with this movie. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, this man goes up into the mountains and, uh, you know, he kind of, I don't want to say bumbles through he starts Life. off, yeah. He kind of starts, starts off kind of just yeah. like figuring it out, learning how the ropes, or you know, like, you know, f- just learning the tools of the trade, how yeah. the all the systems at play, what he needs to be aware of, and like yeah. kind of figuring out his way, meandering through life yeah. in the mountains, uh, and then ultimately um, having some very very tragic event happening to him. Yeah, yeah. and we'll talk about and that. That kickstarting a whole just nosedive into really yeah the, the final 30 the second, minutes are, yeah the yeah, final, the final 30, 30 minutes, minutes movie, which movie. are just so different than the rest of the movie so different and yeah. we'll talk about that um but yeah so who are some players then in this movie kind of that the cast and the crew behind it all um so the uh director is Sidney pollock um who had already worked with robert redford who stars as jeremiah johnson uh, yeah. once before this is their second time working together yeah i think they worked for a total of five times together i think or something like that i mean they, they were clearly very good friends yeah um they, they there were reports where pollock and his brother so pollock's brother was the costume supervisor on the movie oh wow and pollock and his brother would go fly to sundance um on a weekend with mm-hmm. costumes that they checked out from warner brothers and a camera that he rented from like panavision and then they would go around uh, Redford's estate. He had like 600 acres at that point outside of Sundance. And they would yeah. just walk around Sundance filming Redford dressed in costume to then like go back and like work with like a kind of like a look at what they were trying to do. And so they would do that during different periods of the year, like different seasons. Oh. Um, absolutely fascinating. But yeah, the, the two biggest influences on this are 100%. Sidney Pollack, the director, Robert Redford, mm-hmm. and then also John Milius, who uh, wrote the script, and we'll talk about it later on, but yeah. several rewrites of the script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. M- Milius is a character in himself, so that yeah, makes sense. Trust me, there's a lot of lot of uh, contention between oh, yeah. all of these parties. I don't doubt that at all with John Milius. Yeah. Uh, yeah. John, John Milius, uh, kind of the, the... It's like somewhat forgotten. I won't say forgotten, but like he's in that kind of uh new hollywood kind of film school brats like thing it's like he was very much close with like lucas and spielberg and and people like that it's like the the big kind of uh side story with milius is like he did a movie called big wednesday uh that he wrote and direct that was like kind of this coming of age uh surfer movie and it was the same he was making around the same time that Spielberg was doing Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Lucas was doing Star Wars. And they all had a deal where they traded one like one box office point or one percent of their box office gross for all our movies to one another. So like Spielberg Spielberg got one percent of Star Wars and Big Wednesday. Uh Lucas got one percent of Big Wednesday and Close Encounters, and Milius got one percent of Close Encounters and Star Wars. 
and Spiel- <laughs> oh, good for him. Spielberg thought that Big Wednesday was going to be a big hit because it was like, oh man, it's like it's Jaws and 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 American Graffiti combined. It's like an ocean movie with coming of age. It's going to be a huge hit. It made like four million dollars on an eleven million dollar budget, so it wasn't a big hit. And Whoa. Milius was was able to get money from Star Wars and Close Encounters, uh, based Good off that you, that box office exchange. And yeah, so it was it was two of the most successful films of that era, and he got one percent of each of them. I think one percent or so. Anyway, that's a side story on on Milius. But being in, and he was in that kind of group of people and kind of gets forgotten as years have gone on. But this very much like a manly dude is kind of the thing was John Milius. Yeah, uh, there's um, a script that we have somewhere. I think it's the one about the Crusade. I think it's called Crusade. Probably, it's written yeah. by Milius, and it is incredible. If you can find it online, highly recommend. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised that I love this movie, knowing that he wrote it. But at yeah. the same time, you know, you're not always gonna hit a home run. Yeah. So, so Hunter, what is your history with Jeremiah Johnson? Okay, so Jeremiah Johnson for me was a movie that I watched probably the first time when I was ten or eleven with my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were on a hunting trip. And I think we watched it on VHS at that point. Yeah, I'm not sure. DVD wasn't, it was like a thing, but not really a thing. Yeah, yeah. Not, er- not everything had come out on DVD yet. Especially not in very rural Alabama, no. Yeah. Uh, so then, you know, a couple years later, DVDs are everywhere. Uh, everyone catches up with what's going on. My dad and I had, uh, we bought a portable DVD player so that we could watch Jeremiah Johnson together mm-hmm. while sitting in the woods and we would get about halfway through it and the battery would die. And then we watched the second half the next day. <laughs> oh gosh. When we had recharged the the portable the battery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I watched that movie probably a hundred times uh, uh-huh. over the course of most hunting trips for me when I was with my dad until I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. And then after that, like I would just watch it on my phone. Yeah. So <laughs> it was just one of those things, like I just would have it, you'd have it sitting up in the little in the tree. Yeah. Kind of like next to you and you would just, it would be like in your peripheral vision, but so much of this movie I've watched or just like listened to while I'm uh-huh. looking out over like a vast uh, piece of land. Uh-huh. And it really does play like the, the old, the music and yeah. the, the soundtrack, the score kind of plays score. perfectly for that. So yeah. a lot of this movie I've just listened to while it's played on a small screen right beside me. But, uh-huh. um, yeah, honestly, like I, I've watched this movie countless times. Um, I hadn't watched it in a while. I think the last time I watched it, I was in a bachelor party for one of my friends, and his dad also came with us. And his dad found Jeremiah Johnson playing on TV and just put it on like the plasma TV at this place. Uh-huh. And so I watched this thing up with this dude's dad at a bachelor party for a friend of mine. And then I hadn't watched it again until I have I've had the Blu-ray release from 2012. Mm-hmm. Um just on my shelf. So I watched it in preparation for this. And, um, it's a great movie to watch during the winter. I will will tell you that. I see that. Yeah. It's, and it's, you see a lot of, uh, inspiration that was drawn from this movie, particularly for a lot of things that came out in the last 10 years. I would agree. Um, I think Revenant, I think Revenant really falls much in that category. Revenant, Revenant is really, and there's some, parts of hostels i could see that, that yeah that i think take from this yeah uh, pretty directly but revenant i mean it doesn't get much more textbook yeah and then 
there's so many parallels between Revenant's based off of a true story of a tr- of a real mountain man, mm-hmm. and so is this. So, yeah, they, they kind of naturally yeah related. So, so your history is very ingrained in you. And before this episode, I'd never seen this movie. So uh, look at us now. Yeah. So, so you've introduced me to Jeremiah Johnson. Hopefully, you um, enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My brief kind of thoughts. I, I think it's a really great film. I think. Pollock is a direct. I talked about John Milius being someone that's kind of get forgotten. I think Pollock can get forgotten too of someone who, like, could make a great movie. And I think, I think for a guy who, him and Redford made five movies together. It's kind of a little bit of an underrated, um, underrated collaboration because I I like, um, this property is condemned. That was their first movie they did together a few years before. They do Three Days at the Condor three days later, um. But yeah, Pollock was able to kind of he he would make he kind of a journeyman director, but occasionally he can make this like really great film, and I think Jeremiah Johnson kind of fits that bill of one that's probably one of his best of his career. It's probably one of Redford's most underrated films of his career, I would say. Um, I think it's one we talked about before the show of how like it's kind of one that's not as well known as a lot of the westerns in this genre but it's one that's beloved from the people that have seen it. And so I really enjoyed it. I, it's one of those movies where I watch, I go, I oh, mean, you couldn't, you couldn't make this movie today or you could, it'd be the Revenant in terms of like, it would what cost so much money. It'd cost so much money. <laughs> so Cause like, there's just scenes of like this in the snow and the mountains. Um, uh, and, and also like the Redford being like probably one of the biggest, stars uh like at this time i feel like like, yeah, like redford is a pretty big star at this moment in time like i think butch casting something like kids three years before um it's right before he does uh the sting i think a year later um and it's like right at the beginning of this huge upswing for him uh is this movie uh and so yeah i'm, I'm excited to talk about because it it's one that i it was also one going into it. Like I, I was surprised last week when we did good, bad and the ugly by what kind of movie it was. And I was almost surprised by this movie as well of like, for a lot of the movie, it feels very much just like almost like a warm blanket is kind of how I describe it. It's very much this comfort movie where it's like, he's just, he's having some conflict in the movie, but it's really, we're just hanging out with Redford and like his kind of chosen family as they're like, going through the wilderness and like uh making a life for themselves that's kind of what a good bit of the movie is in the middle part yeah you start uh, to wonder where it's going yeah like, i was okay, like what's the yeah point? and then it just hits a hard left you're like oh okay here you. we go here we go yeah, deep and, dive and then yeah. it becomes and then like it, it kind of becomes a revenge western in that last 30 minutes and we'll talk about why uh, we get into kind of favorite scenes but yeah it's 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 just kind of like one with the land type movie it's like he's respecting kind of everything around him uh he's learning the ways of of the of nature and the land and it, it is in terms of like showing the journey of jeremiah johnson it's like they smartly give introduce him to characters early on when he's first getting there and then bring them back at the end where you've seen like how much this life has changed him as a person. Yeah. And also he goes up into the mountains to get 
away from the brutality of his past. Yeah. And he basically to, I mean, not to spoil it too much. He has to give into that brutality again and become the thing, basically the person he tried to avoid becoming. Yeah. Uh, in the end of the movie, but, yeah. or at least coming to peace with that about himself, like knowing yeah. that that was like, he was capable of doing these things. It's fast. It's a fascinating character study hidden inside of a Western film. It's absolutely fascinating. I wrote down, like I wrote, what was it? I wrote down human screw up everything. Cause like everything's going well, like him and his family just living out in the land. And then you got this, the U S army comes in like, yo, we need your help. We, hear yeah, we need help. The Mormons are starving and, and, and they're going to yeah, die in the and mountains. And we, and we need you to help us. And then it's like, screw the native American burial ground. Like we, let's walk through. It's like, and I was just, I just heard it as like humans group, everything. I was like, it's like, they have no, uh, it's not humans. It's society, like society, organized yes. society. Yes. Humans. Yeah. I think to say it's a human problem negates the fact that, uh, the native Americans really were just doing their thing. Yeah. It really is like when it comes time to this expansionism and like uh, a weird part is they shot all of this in Utah and the, the Mormons are a hundred percent of the reason why all of this goes to hell <laughs> in the middle of the movie. And like historically why, like not to dig too deep into but the historical accuracy of it all, this movie takes place probably in the 1830s somewhere, but the Mormons didn't start going West until like 1847. So well, well, no, it's it's if it's after the Mexican American War, it's after. Then it would have been. It's eighteen forty eight, I think. I think the Mexican American War is. There's uh, a lot. There's a lot of historical inaccuracies <laughs> in this movie. Because like, that I, does not. But the weird part is that it doesn't really take away from the movie at all. It doesn't uh -huh. really like knock it at all. Yeah. But there are sometimes where you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about all that. Some yeah, of the like, traps that he uses are not, they're like made of this, uh, you see the yeah. brand on it, oh, it's yeah, oh, yeah. made in the 70s. Yeah. But so, it's, you know. it's a, if it's, if it's, if it's during or after Mexican-American War, it's like 18, late 1840s, because Mexican-American War ends in 1848, I see. And well, the like, mountain I, men were a thing in the 1830s, so I don't. Yeah. So I, I, I so, you see so what I, I mean? Like yeah. all of this is like. Well, I think Bear Claw is probably someone who's been there for a while is the thing. That's one of the characters he meets. My favorite um, character. But we'll hear about Bear Claw later. But yeah, um, but yeah, we'll we'll dive into that and kind of go into favorite scenes. But yeah, it's it's very much like capturing kind of these era of mountain men. Um, so so let's talk about the history of how this got to the big screen, Hunter. So what all? How did this come about? Yeah. So there's a book um, that this is based off of called The Crow Killer: uh, The Saga of Liver Eating Johnson by mm -hmm. Raymond W. Thorpe Jr. and Robert Bunker. I read this book and prepped for this episode. It's the first time I've ever done that for one of these episodes. So uh, shout out to a great book. And there's an audio book of it that I highly recommend that is absolute fire. Uh, but basically this book existed about a real life man. Uh, John Johnston was his name. Um, the rights to this book were bought in 1968 by producer Sidney Beckerman. Uh, but then at that point, by 1970, Warner Brothers acquired the rights from him and hired John Milius to, to adapt the initial screenplay. Mm -hmm. um, Milius basically adapted this from both that book, The Crow Killer book, and then also uh, two other books about mountain men. Mm -hmm. uh, was initially paid like $5,000 for the first draft. But by the time he did all the subsequent like rewrites of this, yeah. he made $80,000. 
that's a good chunk of change this, for that this period. Dude, yeah, this guy did a ton of passes on this, and I honestly, it, it's a dialogue thing, but we'll get into that later too. Uh, at that point, Warner Brothers was approaching Sam Peckinpah to direct. Um, and Makes sense. for Clint, yeah, there's there's someone that was going to be starring in this movie in the lead role. Yeah, who Peckinpah had a falling out with. Okay, said person left. To go do another, uh, you know, staple movie of his career. And then at that point, Peckinpah was like, I'm out. So when Peckinpah bailed, the studio went back. They offered Redford a $200,000 advance. Wow. It was a lot of money that they threw at him just to take the, the role. Yeah. And they didn't have a director attached or anything. They were like, we'll give you this and then we can get someone attached based on this being a thing. And then when that happened, Redford positioned uh, Sidney Pollock to come on board. And he had been looking for another vehicle to attach mm-hmm. with Pollock for a while. So I think this kind of lined up perfectly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they they hit the ground running and started doing their thing. Uh, There's a lot of contention between Redford and – well, with Redford and Pollock on one side and John Milius on the other. I don't think they got along at all, which is fascinating because in the end, the – I think you know time heals all wounds, but in the Blu-ray commentaries, the three of them sitting in a room, but like they had this guy fired so many times <laughs> and then brought back on. It was so fascinating. Uh, that's that's somewhat funny. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, Red, Red, yeah, Redford and and Pollock don't seem like the guys that would get along with Milius in a way. I think just uh, there's a level of pretension when Milius talks about not only himself but also like what he his like his work. Yeah, that I don't think goes over well with Redford with and Pollock. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think naturally they're just very different people. Yeah. Um, but to be fair, Milius did write uh pretty stylized dialogue in this. Yeah, which became um a concern for Pollock. I think a lot of the reason Pollock was uh concerned was because of how stylized the dialogue is. And a lot yeah. of the they bring in these writers to try to rework the script and they couldn't no one could nail the dialogue mm-hmm. that Milius had gone with. And I mean honestly, they just kept bringing him back so like no one else can crack this code. So Yeah. Here you go. Welcome back, I guess. And yeah, the two people that added it was uh Edward Anhalt and yeah. and then uh let's see, David R- Raphael. It looks like he was a guy who worked a lot with Pollock over the years. Um, when the other guy looks like he just did like three TV shows, weirdly. it's The way this is written is fascinating. But Milius basically credited his um, dialogue choice for this uh-huh. to uh, Carl Sandburg poems and also uh, Charles Portis's novel True Grit. Okay. Which is not at all surprising when you watch True Grit and the way they talk and then the way they talk in this. Yeah. yeah. Something, something they mentioned in the commentary was that they didn't really use contractions at all in this time uh, period. Uh-huh. So when you listen to, to them talk, they speak matter of factly. Everything is very clear. Yeah. There is no, there is no need for contractions. Like everything is just the way it is. And when okay. you watch Redford speak. Yeah. After I saw that or heard that note, the rest of the movie, I just, that's all I could pick up on when they're mm-hmm. talking. It was just how like distinctive. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever watched this movie before and thought that, 
But yeah. when I watched it again this last time, it's very clear that the stylized dialogue is re- it's true. It's a real thing. Yeah. And I just never really picked up on it. I think mostly because people don't talk that much in this movie. No, it's, it's a, a lot, lot of times, this movie is yeah. just expansive shots of the wilderness and the one man walking with a horse. Yeah, I mean it's so. it's a very it's a very it's a very it, that moment when the the cavalry comes up and starts talking to Redford. It's like it's been a while since you've heard someone outside of Redford speak English. And well, yeah, his wife and his kid kid doesn't talk. Wife doesn't really speak at all. Anyways, yeah, it's like it, it, he's teaching her how to speak English in some way. Like they're, they're ha- it's like every they're communicating basically nonverbal for the most part and through kind of like teaching certain things and more just like it's 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 a very like all caring relationship by the end of it um but yeah it's every everything's nonverbal through them so like when when redford hears them speak he's kind of like quiet because he's kind of like almost startled in a way to hear he he says like i'm sorry i haven't heard a lot uh, uh, uh english that much english in such a long time um, yeah, and in the movie it's been that way for a while. It's like, like basically, you haven't heard him speak had someone speak English besides Redford um, since um, since Dell, his friend that he meets along the way. And Dell and Dell speaks so much. Yeah, it, it's such a it's you go from like contrast, Del Gyu, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the contrast of Dell Gyu just like spewing off words and like ranting into the sun versus the silence that follows the Delgue part. And then to get that back again later on, there really you never go back to that period of like calm yeah. ever again. After it's gone is and that's kind of the point, but it is such a difference. Um but yeah. Let's get into favorite scenes. Uh so what's what's one of your favorite scenes this movie, Hunter? I mean obviously any scene that Bear Clock Chris Lapp is in is one of my favorite scenes because he is hilarious and also just so memorable. Uh-huh. He's such a big presence, personality. And you can tell it's like this man hasn't spoken to someone in so long and he's just like happy to be around someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scene where the grizzly bear chases him down the hill into the house and they're trying to trap the grizzly bear, which yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense if you think about it. I went into a deep dive on it because they, uh, they were talking about it in the commentary. They built that set with uh, a slope going down the hill because the yeah. myth, the urban legend is the bears can't run downhill because their back legs are longer than their front legs, uh-huh. which is not scientifically true. They can run <laughs> just as fast downhill, but they built this whole set based on this urban legend that that was the truth. So their thought was the bear can't catch the stunt man running down the hill. And this is a live, like 600 pound oh, grizzly bear God. chasing this guy. And so they're like, all right, guy, like take off down there. He can't catch it cause it's downhill. But like that bear, it can run 37 miles an hour. Yeah. No matter what angle they're at, like they could, you know, what? So this dude, you know, brave guy, just getting chased by this bear over and over and over again. But, um, you know, honestly, most of these were shot in one take. So who knows? He may have just done it once. (laughs) So, uh, that scene though, and just that set in general is so interesting because, uh, you, you don't see live animals much yeah uh, you don't see like even in like the say the trailer for prey that came out last week like that grizzly bears all cgi the revenant cgi yeah uh you don't see a live grizzly bear much anymore on a yeah. movie i don't know if it's possible legally now i don't think it is i i would imagine it's probably not but um to see that and then them getting chased into the cabin and just the the aftermath of all of that love that scene it's yeah, a good it's, scene it's very like um 
everything feels tangible in some way. It's if everything feels kind of lived in terms of like the the areas. There's authenticity. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, of it all. Um, no, yeah, with Bear Claw, I, I like the stuff with Bear Claw and Redford, especially that. Or, I like both of them. We'll talk about the second scene later, but the first scene when they or the first scenes when they meet, and he's kind of, kind of just like teaching him the ways of a mountain man and like and like he i think bear claw knows from the beginning that like because reference kind of like oh yeah i can skin anything i can skin a bear i can skin this he goes okay and so i think the bear thing is kind of like a prank on 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 jeremiah where he's like all right because he basically runs down runs the bear in jumps to the 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 window or whatever is like all right good luck good luck kid or whatever is kind of what it is um and and he kind of has to learn the ways of what a mountain man's like from bear claw and it's and very much almost like a it's not a hero's journey but it's this mentorship and that's kind of like cool to like, go on your way and see what else is out there in the yeah. world and then and, he ends up circling back later on so you yeah. you end up getting the whole journey yeah for and, and, and it's interesting at by the end when when, when bear claw sees him again it it's almost it's all I was because he because at this point Jeremiah's seen so much and it's weird because he's become so known in yeah. this area and so Bearclaw knows that's like he knows who's become that person because he met him early on and it's kind of like he's seen he's seen what the what the frontier has done to Jeremiah and it's almost like an interesting father moment in a way where bear claw sees like how much of a toll uh jeremiah has gone through um when he sees him in the finale or kind of the, the ending of the film basically and the and way he that, talks to him at that point too is like it's as a level of an equal instead yeah. of like a of a teacher and yeah. a master he come speaks along, to him yeah like come, he's a like a pupil you know yeah, I, I think he says like you've come a long way like you you've come along come a long way from being a starving pilgrim yeah Cause yeah, cause now he's like Jeremiah's waiting, like kind of knows he's coming. Cause like it's, it's funny, like the first time you see when 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 Bearclaw meets him, he's like, "I've been hearing you for 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 a month or a month or whatever." Smelling you for three, three days. Smelling you for three days. Like you you you're the crazy, you're the stupid guy who keeps walking around making all this noise and scaring off the grizzlies. Um, you know what's hilarious about all of this is the grizzly bears would be hibernating during the entirety of this <laughs> section. It is the most dense snow. And like, you know what? I'm willing to just not think about that while I watch well, it. At this it, point in the seventies, like who was going off into the mountains at this point? Like, like, like Redford like, was dude. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I, I, I like those scenes with bear claw. And then, you, and then you have, I think, I mean, the scene with, uh, when he shows up at the, at the house, um, at the, at the, the, the crazy woman's house, as he called her, um and two of her kids have been killed um it, it's an interest i mean it's a it's a i think that's where he first kind of sees the what the frontier can do to to people essentially like what yeah. what what the world is like, like brutality he, he's running away from brutality at the beginning of the movie when he's when he's coming like, i'm gonna go live off the land blah blah, blah. but even out here in the frontier there is still some form of brutality um and that goes into the whole kind of native american tribes and then he also go into the representation of native americans in this movie but 
early on he kind of has a good relationship with native americans um so it's kind of odd when you see this kind of brutality of like these kids being these kids have been killed and this woman's left to like uh to to basically live here and take care of her one son that's left but yeah then she just up and like take him makes makes jeremiah take her son yeah because i think she knows she will as that as that her character she will probably go even more insane after seeing two of her kids get murdered basically or finding them murdered and she knows she will not provide a good life for her last remaining son and then jeremiah has to become this like father figure of this kid um it's also the scene that scene is such a strange counterpoint to the events when his wife is murdered is when when the when caleb and the wife are murdered yeah um that scene in real life that event it was not um he didn't leave to go on a uh quest to help mormons in the mountains like it really was a try like a raiding party of like you know up and coming trying to prove themselves Mm-hmm. Uh, crow warriors that uh, they killed this lady and robbed that house. Yeah, she died. Like that was really what happened. But the Redford and Pollock wanted to make it very clear that the Native Americans basically weren't doing this out of just like brute, like brutality, like just like yeah. naked violence. They wanted it to be like there had to be some kind of like reason for it, and so that's why they kind of spun this whole thing up with the Mormons that really had nothing to do with this at all and the army coming in, that was really never a part of it at all in real life, but they had to develop this. And this is a, something in the script that they had to figure out. in one of the rewrites, because they didn't want that to be the portrayal of the native Americans. But then you have this scene with a crazy woman where that's exactly how they portray it. Like, so I, it's a weird, like, uh, juggling act they have between the two of how they really depict Native Americans, because you do have that depiction while also trying to, maybe they, they were like, we can't do this twice in the same movie. Like they can't just be like, Oh yeah. And then more really, uh, you know, violent native Americans killed these people too. Yeah. Like maybe that's why they had to split it up a little bit more, but it is such a strong, just knowing how that played out in real life. The, the crazy woman that was real. That was a, she was a real person. Her uh. family was real. They were murdered. That all happened. That's very hostiles right there, actually. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. that is so hostiles takes that character straight from this movie almost. Because like yeah, her, and that one it's like all of her entire family's killed, and she. But it's the opposite. It's basically like what if that character goes off with Jeremiah Johnson is kind of the thing. Yeah. Um, in in hostiles with with Christian Bale. Um, but yeah, so I like so I like that. But then I also like going in when they meet Dale, and it's a great intro for Dale where he's like buried in the sand head sticking out it's very like frontier western type in the dude of people of like kill them slowly they'll have they'll bake out in the hot sun and just die with their heads above ground and no way to get out um but dale it's like the thing about dale he's a character this is kind of was hard about kind of casting him later but like he's a character that is funny but also for a while feels untrustworthy like you don't yeah. know how to take Dell. Like, is Dell a villain, or, or is, he is, the, is he the friend that pulls you into like really bad situations because yeah. of just how he's wired? Yeah, because like it's like yeah. he starts off and you're like you don't know where how he's gonna be, and then you have the scene when 
they're going to get his stuff and you kind of feel like he's like oh we gotta he's a trigger happy character basically yeah because like, oh, they he, can get away with the stuff they can get yeah. away with their stuff and like not kill anyone and then he's just like you know what nah yeah because blasting because like because he, he, he like, a noise is made not even they move it's just an, he, he actually makes a noise because ah crap ran it now and he just starts shooting these native americans they're still asleep and you're like yeah this guy's a villain but then it's like and then you have him doing this thing when they're when they're riding up because he talks about like the scalps he's gotten as a way to like get back at the native americans and when the native americans are riding up he puts his scalps on jeremiah's uh horse uh to make sure if they get caught they'll think that he's the killer of the group and not dell and so it's like he's a very like untrustworthy guy and like you don't know how to take it but then he again you, you find out kind of the, that that back half when he comes back in again where it's just kind of like oh no he was that was just, he had been out in the mountains long enough he kind of knew the rules of the of the frontier i'm not saying what he did was right but you kind of understood now more of how why he acted that way after yeah. jeremiah was out there for so long you, and, you start and to learn. see that he was much more informed about his situation than you thought yeah. he was because you, you're introduced to him and you're like this guy is a crazy person yeah and he's and i like, think a lot of that is he uh -huh. is kind of crazy, but I think he plays that up a lot because and I read a, an argument about this online. Uh, a lot of people think that he was written to be this over the top, like very flamboyant, crazy. Yeah. Ranting all the time because Native American tribes uh, revered people who were crazy as like big <laughs> medicine. That's why they didn't yeah. kill the crazy woman. They were yeah, like, yeah. this lady is insane. So they, he was like, you know, maybe it's one more thing that'll keep them from taking my scalp. But yeah. to see him with hair again in the second half of the movie, very, very, very off-putting. Yeah, it's yeah. Odd. I was, I was like, <laughs> who is wild. this person? And then you realize, oh, it's Dale. I can out, jump out, run, throw down, drag out, and whip any man in all get dunk. How you been, Jeremiah? Staying alive, Dale. <sighs> Think that hair I see in your head? It sure is. I've decided that when I depart from this life, I'd like to leave something. At least to be remembered on some man's lodgepole. Sound wisdom. Where are you headed? Same place you are, Jeremiah. Hell in the end. I love that scene where he gets the 50 caliber hawk, and this is such a good introduction. Yeah. To you know, and it's also a scene where Pollock was talking about in the commentary where he's saying that he wanted that moment to be uh a bit of uh, foreshadowing of mm -hmm. what Jeremiah would ultimately be because the original ending of this movie, Jeremiah was going to be frozen next to a tree and die. Very, so very, wanted, very, very shining esque in yeah, a way. <laughs> he, he wanted, he, and there's an, another tie into that later. So he, <laughs> he wanted uh, Jeremiah's ending to be like a, a complete mirror of how they found Hatchet Jack at the beginning. But, Redford fought for that not to be a thing and for him to have a, an ambiguous ending yeah, and not really know where he went from there. Um, but the Hatchet Jack side of it, they used a body double for Redford as Hatchet Jack. Oh, wow. They froze him. And they basically wanted, in the end, he's like, even if it's not a mirror of what happens to uh, Johnson at the end of the movie, it's still a representation of like the monument of yeah. who jo the, the legend of Johnson would become. Yeah, and it's not... And it's yeah, it's also what he could become if he does if he's not careful of the ways of mountain man. I guess it's like it's it, it's, exactly. a, it's a it's almost a warning. It's a warning for Johnson when he's coming into this world. Hey, you could yeah. wind up frozen 
in the snow because you don't know how to live it, live this life or whatever. Yeah, it's the reality versus the romanticism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then and kind of going in that reality versus romanticism, um, my favorite sequence of this movie is, again, he gets this chosen family with Caleb and Swan, and he's living a life with this, married to this Native American woman, has a child, they're building a house. Like, I love the sequence when he's like trying to teach her like English, and he's like, yes. Yeah. And he's like, I, great hunter. And I'm just like, this is fun. Like, it's just like, he's like, he's like boast like boosting his confidence. But, oh, I'm great hunter. I'm, I'm man. I'm, I'm great the, measure I, of a man. Yes. Great measure of a man. Yeah. Is what he says. And she's just like, uh-huh. What are you talking about? Um, but she's just I, trying to make him food and then he eats the yeah, food. And yeah. He's like trying to spit it out and not be disrespectful of this new yeah. wife. And it's then, such yeah. a fun scene in a movie where it yeah. doesn't have a lot of those fun scenes. Yeah, exactly. And so, like for a while, I'm just like, "Wow, we're we just like hanging out with these this family, like in the frontier, like they're building their house together." And you get that great gif moment of Redford just nodding, where it's yeah, in on him. when they're when they're hunting. You know, I wrote down meme culture as well. Yeah, it's like it's it's become <laughs> it's it's more people know of this movie from the meme of Redford bearded nodding than people who've actually seen the movie is hey is, whatever is gets people thing. to watch jeremiah johnson like i think it was recently where people realized for the first time oh wait that's robert redford and i was like i haven't seen jeremiah johnson but i knew that was from jeremiah johnson yeah it's uh, the beard, man. but the beard uh it's legendary but yeah it's like i love just kind of the vibe that movie uh, that that sequence gives of like caleb like caleb's kind of becoming the son of jeremiah in a way and he's learning learning the ways and and then Swan is is learning, or they're becoming kind of a caring couple in a way, and he's yeah. he's become, he's more thoughtful of the family, and wants to take care of them and provide for them. And so that when when the army shows up, he I think he legitimately like wants to like I'm afraid for my family, leave them here. I don't want to leave them here uh, for that long because of these Mormons screwing everything up, basically uh and and you guys having to come in and save them it's like you guys can do it yourself and then when they go and they go into the burial ground it's like again he has his way of doing it but they like no no no, we gotta do it this way like forget the rules out here we have to save these they're, they're gonna be you're gonna have starving children because you have, won't go to the burial ground um but but what what i want to lead to because we're getting talking about favorite scenes i love the moment again that sequence of them building the house but what makes it that the turn from romanticism to i guess reality is when he comes back and they've been murdered when jeremiah yeah. comes back swan and caleb been murdered and i felt like some of that was gonna have to happen but just to progress the story for just it, to yeah. progress the story but what i got kind of teary-eyed about it's the it's this it's right after when he puts them in the bed and he sets the house on fire and he's him, like he, this man is going on and a he's, mission and he's no stand, yeah return. and he's and he's standing out there like watching it like i'm like this is sad like this is like he's burning down this life that he created literally yeah. um because the rules the frontier have or the frontiers turned him this way and then it just goes full-on brutal with him yeah. basically killing every native american he, or he has the big like fight where he kills all native americans that have that are possibly the party that killed his family and then that whole tribe the crow tribe 
not to interrupt. The yeah, Crow yeah. tribe sent in real life after this happened. They tried to they sent people to kill him. It was like a to prove yourself as a man. They would send these war parties of yeah of uh, you know raid parties of young up and coming men to prove themselves to go get Johnson's scalp. And he killed every single one. And then he started eating their livers to prove a point. Oh wow. He would eat their liver. He'd cut out their liver and eat That's it, not and the then movie. leave their bodies. Yeah, no, they took that out of the movie completely. But yeah, man, this guy—they just started Very sending brutal. people after him, and he was just like, "You're right. You want to send them? Fine. Come. Yeah. See what happens." And like filmmaking-wise, the montage of just like him killing all these people is just such a. I was like, is this the end of the movie? It's just going to like end with the montage of him killing all these <laughs> Yeah, 20 him. minutes later, it's, it's still weird. happening. It's like, it's gone for a while. And it's just like, because against that part when, uh, um, when he shoots, like, like you have that one where he like shoots up from the snow when he's like at his tent or something. Mm-hmm. But then even that part when, it's, I think it's Dale, when they're hanging out with Dale and they're just like, how's it been for you? And then all of a sudden, just like a Native American runs up yeah. and tries to kill him. Yeah. So they throw us a yeah. spear into Dale's leg. Yeah. And then, and then Johnson gets up and kills them both. And Dale's sitting there with a spear in his leg, just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and then John, they just go back to eating. Yeah, it's been tough. It's like kind of what it comes <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it could be worse. It could be worse, but yeah, it's yeah. been tough. But one thing I want to bring up too before we kind of move on to other stuff with this, but like I said, I like the bear claw reading and I like the the Dale reading and kind of you're seeing where Jeremiah's gone. But I want to talk about like the score is great of this movie. I think the cinematography is fantastic. And really I was is. so surprised when I looked up this guy and like he barely did anything. But it's like a yeah. beautiful film. Duke Call- uh, Callahan, I believe is his name. You know, I have a knack of finding these films that have great 70s music and great 70s Apparently. cinematography yeah it's just my vibe i guess but, but like he, he yeah he he did mostly tv like he only did he did he actually did three cindy pollock movies a, he did come of the barbarian which is a john milius movie and then made two other things and the rest are all tv but he shot a lot of miami vice it looks like and magnum pi interesting but like he and and like Colum- a little bit of columbo a little bit of a heart to heart so but he like, just cashed in. He was like, yeah, he just want to get paid. Yeah, but like he like this like the I the, it's there's so many like striking visuals in this movie. Like one that I he, he, he they use a split diopter in this movie, which basically means you have kind of two two different planes camera wise that are in focus, and they do it in the cavalry scene. But then he does something interesting, kind of with it. It may have same that, but he does interesting when with the uh, when Redford gets shot off the horse, and you have the Native American coming up. And and Redford's like watching this horse's eye to see how he reacts to Native American walking up. It's this mm-hmm. beautiful shot of like close up on Redford's face in the ground, and in the and the everything's out of focus in the background, and slowly you see it's a coming figure, figure coming in, and it's getting more in focus, and it's a gorgeous like shot that I had never really seen before. Um, and I was just like, man, who shot this? You think it's gonna be someone of like a Haskell Wexler or, or a Conrad Hall, a John tall or whatever. And that's just like Andrew Duke Callahan, who I've never heard of. And when you read like a letterbox reviews, you're like, wow, this is one of the most gorgeous films. And I was like, this guy did nothing after this movie. (laughs) I mean, I also, I think it's also completely valid in your points about the split diopter and all that, all that, but it's also incredibly hard to shoot the Rocky mountains poorly. Like it is just that's, a naturally that's beautiful fair. location. So yeah. I mean, honestly, 
it's a it goes hand in hand i mean i do like when he goes back and he finds like the statue like the the um with quaylen uh, yeah with quaylen with with matt clark where it's like he finds this like memorial to him in a way and that's when you kind of find out how he's become this myth essentially yeah, he's, a, he's a legend he's a legend he is and to them they idolize the native americans end up idolizing, idolizing him. him because he's such this like legendary kind of uh, he's immortal he, yeah and it's like and it goes kind of goes back to the whole like song of the of the jeremiah johnson and kind of the end of like we don't know if he's alive or dead is kind of the thing by the end of it no one knows you're him ain't you him it's this it's for you if you be johnson Right early, ain't they? It ain't a grave like the other. More like a statue or monument. We never see them. We never even hear them. We're just looking there's a new piece of bone or hide or something's been left. And we know they've been here. Some say you're dead, count of this. Others say you never will be. So what happened on set with this movie? It's interesting. So Warner Brothers um, basically told them they couldn't spend any money on this movie. Straight up. Uh, yeah. which, uh, irony of my current life. <laughs> uh, they're like hey you're gonna shoot this entire movie about mountain men on a back lot in la and redford and pollock were like that's never gonna happen like, we need to shoot this in utah yeah. Redford's like utah 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 like we film on my land like i don't care yeah but they were like the money doesn't add up so pollock goes and mortgage gets a mortgage on his house wow so that he can put his own money to make the difference uh once he does that the studio is like fine you're crazy do what you want go to utah in the winter not my problem anymore so they go to utah they end up scouting i think the the art director drove twenty six thousand miles in total scouting wow. locations in utah they drove all over the place i think the furthest distance between locations was 600 miles of road so they shot at 100 different locations around the state of utah a lot of which was in sundance and around redford's property on redford's property and yeah. around the resort itself yeah but um yeah, man, they they started shooting this thing uh, in the dead of winter in January. Oh God! In Utah. And yeah, I don't know whose idea to do that <laughs> was, but uh, you know, a lot of these locations they they had to scout by air because you can't drive to them. Yeah. So to get things in and out, uh, you're talking horses, snowmobiles, no trucks really. Yeah. Um, this is about honestly, everyone wants to celebrate the Revenant as like this like groundbreaking thing that's never we've never done anything like this we're pushing boundaries of making film but like jeremiah johnson did this 40 years before that movie was made with very little technology <laughs> with very little technology and like you know maybe they didn't use natural light or whatever they want to sell you on for um you know the revenant but yeah for what they had for what they did with it oh my god to to stretch 3.1 million dollars as far as they stretched it um insanity mm -hmm. so basically pollock they scout the locations. Everything's good to go. Uh, Pollock asked the shooting crew that he brought in from L.A. basically to give up their posh lifestyles and to live in local hotels and to just be like, hey, man, like 
we're all part of the same team here. Mm -hmm. And if you don't buy into that, that's fine. This is not the movie for you. Like, Mm -hmm. we'll find someone who can. And everyone just kind of buckled in for what, you know, kind of feels like, you know, the the, uh, summer camp mentality where we're all on an island together and we're just going to make this movie. And it's going to be miserable, but we're going to have, like, a shared experience a group experience yeah, yeah 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 and so you know they they did the damn thing um the problem was at the very beginning of shooting they had delayed because of weather because of the snow mm-hmm. and uh they were afraid that the production was gonna have to push so far they're gonna run out of money essentially redford's like hey i'll do whatever it takes like we can figure this out logistically um you know what can we do so the problem with this movie and shooting outside is only two scenes in this movie take place indoors and it's the scene in the tp in the flathead community mm-hmm. when he is offered a swan's hand in marriage yeah and then the scene inside by bear claw's house yeah there's the only two scenes that take place in a studio like space at all wow. everything else is outdoors yeah so Basically, he Pollock abandoned his idea of having to do multiple takes and was just like, we're going to have to do these in one and just go with it. And so they did. A lot of this movie is just a one. Just a oh one God. one take. We're just going to roll with it and see what happens. Because they can't reset snow that dense. No. Like, you can't. Yeah. Once you walk a horse through snow that's never been walked through yeah. before, it, it doesn't look like that anymore. So, like, the scene with the elk, where they go up and shoot the elk. That's the same pasture where Redford built a house a couple years after this movie was made. Wow. So it's like, this is all mostly, most of it's on Redford's property. Yeah. Redford scouted the locations ahead of time. Uh, Redford knows this place in the back of his hand. Yeah. So, yeah, man, they go down there. Uh, it's They're snowed in pretty hard. And they're like, you know what? Uh, we're going to do it. But, you know, to move gear around on a day-to-day basis, I was reading an article about it. Basically saying that uh, the crew had to create a system um, to traverse through the snow that was so deep that they couldn't see. Like when snow is so deep, um, you know, you can't see where you're walking. You'll step in a hole. But they have horses and snowmobiles driving across all this all the time. So they developed a system where they would lay down uh, links of chain link fence in a basically in a stretch of roads. They would just roll this chain link fence roll out and then uh, basically it does like a snowshoe effect on the snow so then they can either drive or walk over the top of it so a lot of the crew to get around they would go on the outside of these locations with chain link fence lay it down and the people would walk on it to try to level it out it's fascinating the stuff that they came up with with like you know and that's the thing like you don't have much money to spend you got to figure out a way go get some chain link fence from the hardware store lay it down but you know what that's this movie gets made because of thought like thinking like that and and a lot of it Pollock talks about how the fact that it was his own money on the line after he mortgaged his home, he was like, my approach to all of this changed so much because it was finally my own money and I felt like personal stake in it, like risk in this. And it changed how I view production, day-to-day production entirely. And he credits Redford of being like, I could never have survived this had it not been for Rob basically just being every, like the, Redford would move gear and crew yeah. He would like he was driving snowmobiles. He was riding horses in and out with gear on it. Redford did a little bit of everything in this movie because I think he was so invested. I think he realized that this is like the thing he probably cared the most about that he's ever worked on. And just I don't know. It's fascinating just to see the day to day and how that went. But I mean, I was looking at the record. The lowest record attempt during their shoot 
negative 25 degrees Fahrenheit. Whoo! And there's a quote from Redford. He said, we had seven cases of frostbite, four cases of strep throat, two cases of pneumonia, and only three cases of Napoleon brandy. <laughs> One week, the thermometer didn't get up to zero once. The horses balked at coming out of their stalls. Cindy wondered where it was all going to end. I had a good idea because I lived here all year round and know how tough a Utah winter can be. The weather couldn't have been rougher for the crew, but it was absolutely terrific for the finished film. Yeah, like it's, yeah, yeah, picture like in those conditions, like how there's so much going, like there's so much can go wrong with that in terms of like you're talking about how they're doing a lot of one takes and you're like, well, if you want, there's no video village in 1972. This is all no. like, you're all like, we're winging this and we'll find out in dailies if it worked type thing. And they do those dailies runs. <laughs> yeah. Once a week, once a week at a local theater, <laughs> they would pack the, they'd pack the crew in there and be like, all right, we're going to watch what we shot this week. They'd play it. And he's like, almost everyone except for Sydney and I would fall asleep because it's just long sequences of one man riding a horse <laughs> through like a vast valley. He's like, but Sydney and I are sitting there just like glued to this like this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life and he's like turned around and the whole crew is just like dead we gotta make a movie out of this like asleep he's just like well I guess this is gonna be an interesting movie <laughs> and like you gotta think like decision making in that atmosphere you gotta think cause like you're if, if the weather's affecting you that much like your your decision making of directing or acting acting it might just become more realistic because you're playing that type of character but as a director you're having to or DP or whatever, the decisions you have to make in that under those extreme conditions, like it would be taxing. I feel like to do that. I mean, oh I, no, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've been, we, you're we, already stressed about money, and you're just like, what could possibly go wrong yeah. now? And we, I mean, you know, we've been out there before, hundred and thirty degree weather, and it was just like, this is terrible. Oh man, my hands have never been more cold. <laughs> Spraying down roads. Someone going to get hand warmers to, that we can hold throughout. Like they didn't have hand yeah. warmers like this back in the 1970s. No I mean, man, we're just no, standing. They had in. like propane heaters. Is about it. And also, in comparison to earlier in the month, we talked about how John Ford did something similar to Pollock did, is that he put his own money into Stagecoach because he believed in it so much. And so it's interesting to hear Pollock did something very similar here with Jeremiah Johnson. It's hard not to see the authenticity that you're willing to go to to achieve yeah. the links you're willing to go to to get to that authenticity um and it does pay off in spades and i think when you're shooting it out in the in the elements like that you realize you're making a movie about a man who survived these elements and now you're making a movie in those same elements in the same exact place where all of this went down yeah and there's a level of just like it doesn't get more true to the story itself than to have that same experience when you're shooting it yeah um and it shows off in the film like they're the sequence where they go and hunt the elk, the snow that they are in is probably waist high. Mm -hmm. And it's, you just, I've never seen such terrible weather shown. So in a, in a, not in any sort of effects way. Yeah. Like it's it just, it's just, that's like that's how it, it was on the day. Yeah. They are like, what the hell? <laughs> we weren't, br we weren't bringing in like yeah. tubes of snow to spray out there. Like if you watch the revenant, yeah, it's like, I mean, grand revenant, you go into the whole idea of like what's happening to our environment nowadays with not as much snow in certain areas, but like you'll watch like the rehearsal and there's not a lot of snow down in a lot of these places. And they put it down for like the film. Um, yeah. but this is like, no, they're legit out there in the mountains full of snow yeah uh, there's no there's no like warehouse set yeah. for any of this this no. is all just out there in the wilderness 
you know, Redford did his own stunts a lot of the times and basically would strategically wait until the, he said the insurance men yep. weren't on set and that he would make sure they were in meetings. Right. He would do his own stunts. And uh, he did say that he went and made sure that the stunts union was paid appropriately so that no stunt men went out of work because uh-huh. of it. Cause he, he was like, you know, I don't want to put anyone out of work, but I do think that there's a level of authenticity. If we're trying to achieve, like I can't, we can't fake some of this. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of the fight sequences, we just have to do it with me in there, and it just is what it is because it, it it's so apparent that it's not me yeah. that it it takes you out of it. Yeah, who who would have thought that Redford was the early day Tom Cruise is the thing, with well, with all that. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so true, so true. <laughs> no, 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 I'm gonna do this myself. We're gonna, I'm gonna no, yeah, I'm gonna do this myself. Um, and I guess like Redford, and man, man, wrong with sense, like Redford doesn't seem like the type actor on face value to do something of this caliber like i don't, I don't know maybe because like i know he was early on in the 60s he was such kind of a not to knock him but it was very he's considered like a pretty face actor in a way and then butch i think Cassidy this is ca- his attempt to get away from that yeah and then butch cassie opens him up he's still kind of this pretty face actor but jeremiah johnson feels like it's it's like there's a hard edge there's a hard edge to it you can tell he's like mm-hmm. trying to go a different way with his career with this movie um and so what what happens in the aftermath and what happens after shooting stops with this film? They edit this movie for seven and a half months, Brandon. That's a long time. That's a long time. And you know why? It's because these guys sitting there editing and they're like, okay, well, here's 30 minutes of him riding a horse through a valley <laughs> and then another valley and then another valley. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, I would love to see... I would love to see like the the longest cut possible that they have in this movie. movie. Yeah, I would love to see that just to see just to see how long it was him just like <laughs> wandering through wilderness. But um, yeah, I mean they they edited this for seven and a half months before they went. You know, and and that's that's a side thing too about the editing of it and how long it is. But like, what I thought so weird because it's under two hours. I was shocked there was an overture for one. Then I was shocked oh, there was the there was an intermission at one point. I was like, "What?" Yeah, they those were both cut. The VHS release they cut it completely, uh-huh. okay. and then for the DVD they brought it back. Okay, and I, I think it's a necessary part of the movie. Honestly, it adds this like, "Okay, what the hell are we about to watch?" I mean, kind of vibe. I mean, you don't have that anymore. Like you had it in Hateful Eight, and that's like yeah. really it. But there is there is kind of this like question like you're like because because the the animation starts when like they're not they don't want to go over the burial ground and then Redford's just like okay fall behind me tell your men to fall behind me one by one we're going and then it's like intermission and I was like what and I could like picture being out in the yeah. theater being like I'm oh, gonna go take a ten minute break and be like oh man what's about to happen yeah something bad something very very bad it's yeah it's your it's your early version of like twitter where you got the word of mouth while watching the movie you know what i mean it's like well what's about to happen yeah. remember that part when they did this wow i'm so excited to see how they pay that they pay that off um so they add the movie after seven and a half months and then what happens they're the first western to ever screen at can which is crazy it's that premiere that premieres in may of 72 mm-hmm. and then they don't release they don't go wide until december so that's a, yeah, that's a long i mean that's that's common nowadays i didn't know that was very i know that was common back then in the 70s I don't feel like to, it was it was also like you're not going to release this this movie about a dude living in in the summer conditions in the summer you're gonna put that out at christmas you're gonna yeah. put it out right before christmas and people are gonna be like 
oh hell yeah it's cold as shit outside i'm gonna go watch jeremiah johnson yeah i'm gonna feel feel wintry that yeah, makes sense I'm gonna, yeah that makes yeah, sense i'm i'm tough i i don't know if that was the decision <laughs> they but reason why they made that decision but either way they they walked into that and it was a smart decision um yeah it was it was a smart decision because it just it wouldn't have felt the same i don't think um but yeah this movie went wide in december of 72 uh-huh. um it ended up grossing 44.7 million total on a 3.1 million budget and um then later on uh abc was the first network to play it uh, on television uh-huh and uh, it was the most watched movie ever on their programming, beating The Sound of Music. Wow, really? Yeah. yeah. That's somewhat surprising, because Sound of Music was huge. Like, Sound of Music, I think when you adjust from inflation, is like still one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Wow. I think people just love Robert Redford. Apparently, at that point. Uh, and I'm re- The similarity between that and Tom Cruise now, it's, it is similar. Well, I'm re- and I'm reading, too, it's like, I, I read that, like, uh, it did they did a reissues of this movie like it says that it came out in 73 but then they did a reissue in 74 and a reissue in 75 in theaters which interesting. is which is interesting yeah that's a weird i've never seen that before the base it almost ran technically you ever say it ran for three straight years which is probably how it was able to make 44 million dollars i mean probably so but you know what hey if people are still going to see it yeah it, this ain't morbius like people no. are going to see this that's happening right now. And I, if I was alive at that point, I would have seen it every single time they released it. Yeah. And that's how so. right, that's how right now with the everything everywhere at once. We're like, I had no fears. They're still playing it in like single theaters. And I was like, you're still playing this after like two months. I was like, wow, it's, it's still doing well. So like, it's, it's, it, it looks like it was a word of mouth type movie for people. Um, when it came out, uh, and critically, how, how, how was the reaction critically at that point? seems was, like, um, I would say, positive some mixed but some uh, mostly positive overwhelmingly positive uh, yeah obviously someone's always going to have some kind of weird contrarian take on everything uh-huh. um it did cause uh, there was one really funny review from the new yorker and the writer the person who reviewed it she's an older lady who watched the movie without her without her glasses on <laughs> and in the final frame of the movie when he salutes the paints his shirt red uh-huh she th- she thought he flipped him the bird and when it ended on a freeze frame of him holding up his middle finger. I was like, was it? It was probably Pauline Kale is, is probably what, who it was. It's, yeah, yeah. Her review was her review that went out in the New Yorker was like, I don't agree with the way this movie ended where he flips off the Native American man. I thought that was very tasteless. <laughs> and it was like, oh no, I just didn't watch it with my glasses on. I didn't realize that he salutes him. Let's see. Yeah. In I th- this th- end of the movie. Yeah. I th- I, yeah. That's Pauline Kale that did that, which it, that Pauline Kale, fantastic, uh, critic but yeah it, it, it makes sense that imagine thinking that was the ending <laughs> i killed all your people and then the guy's like the guy's like hey man it's good to see you he's like hey man eat shit <laughs> at the end of the movie it's like it gives it a totally different it gives it a totally different tone and like when i read that i was like that honestly is hilarious like to, to watch this movie <laughs> to think that was the, the like the final verdict the final, like, the final meeting. Like, that is, this, uh, he's just like, you know what? Nah, I still hate you. <laughs> and then like fade to, fade, uh, to, fade to white or whatever it does. Yeah, it's like it freeze frames on him and he's just like. That's actually hysterical. Some say he's up there still. <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> up his middle finger. 
I was like, oh my god, that is. I wish that was a, like an alternate take on this. I would laugh so hard. That would be a, a, another meme. <laughs> Just Robert Redford yeah. flicking off Free, somebody. Freeze frame as the yeah. ending. Oh man, when slow, I read that. I was like, slow. man, what could have been? Pine Kale, some some great takes and some really hard, horrible takes. But she made you think of, think of a movie differently. Not usually in these way, in this way, but that's a weird yeah that that's yeah funny. i i found another quote from another review that i thought was really good and it said the film does not um so much reveal a way of life as it thrusts us inside of it making mm-hmm. fire with flint and steel looks the miserably frustrating job that it is hunting and fishing looks as exasperating as they are snow looks as cold as it ever has been and hands have a numbed and purple look that it gives them yeah i i think this is a film that uh you know did well at the time and, and to do okay critically, I think it's one that could has aged well. Is the thing? Yeah. I think it's one that someone could put on because I think there's sequences that feel very modern, uh, and, and especially its look. Um, so I feel like how it could be somewhat um, beloved nowadays to people who find it. It's just it's just going out and finding it because again, it's it's not as mu- it's not as widely discussed. In the Redford filmography, I think as as some films, uh, he did. Yeah, I know the hunting community loves this movie um, because you know, in their opinion, it's one of the closest um, tellings of or uh-huh. you know, depictions of hunting and fishing in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Meat, Meat Eater had uh, Steve Rinella did something. I think it was for GQ mm-hmm. doing a a part on hunting in movies, and it was his number one. Uh, next to the revenant but okay. um yeah i mean critically well received and it, it does hold up a lot of in a lot of the way that the native american um people are treated in this movie with a sense of like respect is something that i think holds up for yeah. the most part um, yeah I, it, and it, I think the the intention was there yeah I to feel, yeah walk that line very carefully and also um, not paint them as like an outright villain. Yeah, it feels it feels like um, it's nowhere near the kind of uh, brutal and like inaccurate portrayal that John Ford does in his movies in Stagecoach, but it definitely feels like we're pushing towards a different, more complex view of Native Americans, and it, it feels like it does venture into parts where like he ends up killing them and ends up being brutal. But I think early on, it's very like, oh, no, we can have peace if we just, like, and we stop being, like, society and, like, showing the difference between us. It's like we're coming into this land. They were here first type. That's what kind of has early on when Reverend first meets um, uh, first meets that Native American, the character. It's Paints, paints, paints his shirt red is the Paints the his shirt crow. red is the first one. Yeah, it's the crow. Paints his shirt red is the first one he meets, and then he meets him again at the very end. And they're kind of friends when they when they first meet they first meet at the beginning because he gives them the blanket the red blanket uh, that he takes with them as kind of like a, a peace offering that you get your like we we accept you or something in some way and then it takes a turn later when he starts basically killing off all of his men essentially so so what worked about this movie Hunter um, I mean honestly the authenticity works in every capacity in this movie and it shows. Uh, in a way that you just can't put a number on. Like you cannot replicate. And he was right to say that this could not be done on a back lot is an understatement. 
Like this is a movie that would have been uh, forgotten about by in time completely if this was on a back lot. There's a, there's so much of this movie relies so heavily on the fact that they are in the thick of it. Yeah. In Utah and that just every single shot of this movie is filled with authenticity for the most part. That is so um, important in keeping this like together. It's like yeah. the glue that kind of holds all this together. And I think that, and also just like the fact that they are in the Rocky mountains and you get these beautiful vistas yeah. of you know, Mount Zion national park. You get all of the stuff that they've done uh, just various parts of Utah. Mm-hmm. You can't, replicate that yeah like, that's not something you can you know put a yeah. price on. i think that works for this also uh redford yeah redford uh, is the running through line of just keeping this thing together physically and on screen i agree um i also love the, love the score the music of the movie um cinematography is great i think technically it's, it's all it's all very good um do anything the music. not yeah music's great the opening song the, and then also just the score in general um that really works uh did anything not work for you i mean you know this no. <laughs> i love this movie there's a reason i've watched it a hundred times there's nothing about it that doesn't work for me i you know does it feel slow at some points sure but i think with that you get this trade-off of a beautiful movie yeah where you're not you're not going to watch a movie these days with you know, minutes of time of just a man riding a horse, yeah, just going about his way, and like, there's something beautiful about that that I appreciate. I don't know, not everyone else appreciates, but uh, for me personally, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. I think it's uh, something we should celebrate and not uh, look down upon, and you know, yeah, you know, the, the only, only thing for me, it's and I don't know, it's, it's not bad, but it's like his. his I, I understand his reasoning behind it or the reasoning behind it, but it really is a hard left turn for he's kind of like a peaceful guy to I'm killing everyone. Like it's a hard left. And granted, I know it's like his wife and kid were just killed. Basically his wife and kid were just killed. But like, I guess there was no, for a character that's so complex early on, it becomes very black or white for him very quickly. And maybe that's, you know, that's kind of the point. My counterpoint to that is I don't, it would be different for me if he was seeking them out. He's at this point, if this all happens to him. He's not purposely going out to find native Americans that's at true. least in real life. They were coming after him. Well, I mean the first big one, when he goes, he, he goes and finds, he does, the, he yeah, does find yeah. him and go by like he, you know, you could say, and I think that's probably goes back to that conversation of like, how do we yeah. narratively make this choice in real life? They started sending those guys after him. They were like, hey, yeah, you're done. Yeah. Like, this is it. And at that point, you know, he's just, he, that's a self-defense uh, thing. Yeah. But in this, he does actively go there and make that choice. That is a pretty stark. I know also in real life, she was pregnant. Oh, wow. Uh, when they when he finds her body, he finds like. She's she, pregnant. Yeah. He, he comes to find out that she was pregnant. Gotcha. And, and was there was, that was, was there, really I think the thing that sends him over the edge. Gotcha. Like okay. And was there was so. there a kid like Caleb in the in the real story? No. Okay. There was not. Okay. Gotcha. Um. But yeah, I, I guess that's like there's no, and again, there's no like, there's no shot or anything in mind. If I remember correctly, there's no shot of like this choice being made. It's like he's just kind of like sees him and it's kind of like, well, I'm doing this type thing. I don't know. And 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 maybe maybe i'm wrong with this but it's 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 a um 
I guess it is part of grief, but I guess it's just more it that tone shift is very quick. And that I like the tone it goes into. I wonder what the if the movie improves any any if there's some sort of hints or gradual thing earlier because he goes from being nice to all Native Americans to then being like, no no no, I'm I mean, based. I don't know. I think he do know that he was a soldier, and you know that he fought, and obviously yeah. knows how to kill people. And I yeah. think that there's a part of him that is buried away somewhere deep inside. Of That's him. fair this place of darkness and a place of violence that he went up here to avoid all along. So I think honestly, this happening to him pretty much just the road, it, yeah. it opens that cage and lets that That's fair. Uh, beast back out. And I think at that point, it's really hard to get that put away. Cause it just sends you into this like primal, you know, I don't know personally, this has never happened to me. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, uh, you know, I think that there's reason to believe that he's always known he was capable of doing these things. Yeah. And now he sees it's like taken. Yeah. He has a very particular set of skills. I guess the thing is like, I, 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 I don't, I don't ask, like, Oh, I want to know more about his backstory, but I, I do think like, I wonder what, if it improves more, if you have hints of that, Throughout early, the movie, throughout the movie, in some way, just yeah. a stronger. I more think, yeah, like, it would have That's stronger, more like, not like hitting you over the head with it, but something like the more of like why he left, not even the why left, but just kind of like, oh, I didn't like, I didn't like myself and how I was there or something, and and he d- he does talk a little bit about that, like, oh, I didn't like, I I, oh, I can't go back to that town or whatever. That's not for me or whatever. But I think yeah. he could easily open up his past a little bit more for that choice and i feel like if you do that a a more modern day thing that choice becomes a lot more um uh emphasized yeah i mean like unforgiven did it really well like you know that that edward money was a bad 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 dude yeah yeah. but you never see it no until until it's time to see it yeah he's like okay time to let the beast back out the cage like it, it, it can be done very well, yeah. specifically in Western movies. But yeah, I think you're right. They could have hinted at that earlier on. That's a good, yeah. that's a good takeaway. Because because the movie is so like again warm blanket throughout for like him him building the frontier, and then it's just bam killing everybody. And it's just like yeah. it it makes sense for like a like the an opening of a movie. It's weird for it to happen yeah. so late in the movie without that being fully hinted at of like what this guy is capable of. Because it's kind of becomes like we don't fully know until the end of what he's capable of. So that's, that's just one thing. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if it makes it better, but I just think it's, a, I would be intri- intrigued to see how that affects the movie. If that, if they do that. Did I just call him Edward money? Is it William money? And unforgiven. <laughs> you call him Eddie money. Is that what you I think call I called him? him? Yeah. I think I've called him Eddie money. I think, I think it's William money. I think you said, was it? Forgive me, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Please don't smite me. William Money, yeah, William Money. God, I'm so sorry. Clint. Eddie Money, <laughs> and then Eddie, Eddie Money over here. You know what he's capable Clint, of. He's, he's just like I got two tickets. He's got two tickets to paradise. paradise. <laughs> that's, his oh, final, that's his final line before he kills somebody. <laughs> that's the sequel to Unforgiven. Dude. You got some two tickets to paradise here. <laughs> so, Art Universe cast. Was there anyone up for these roles besides these people? I did read. I did read that the Native American woman, they had like a big process to get her, Del uh, Del, uh, Del Bolton, yeah, Del Bolton, the Swan. Uh, yeah, they they found her just walking across campus at USC. Was it USC? Let's see, what was it? Or it's UCLA. 
Was it UCLA? She yeah. was walking across was, campus wherever school she was going to. Yeah. Not even going to the casting call. The casting director saw her and was like, you should read for this part. She was like, oh, okay, cool. And she did it. And honestly, besides this movie, she's only been in one episode of Monk. So. Wow, that's a big yeah. gap. It's a big old <laughs> gap. And she's in the one episode of Monk and that was it. So, you know. Wow. I guess this was such a bad experience. She was like, I'll never do this again. <laughs> it was too damn cold. And so you said you said earlier on for Jeremiah Johnson, you said when Peck and Pa, who was directing it? Who was going to be in it for Peck and Pa's version? It was Clint Eastwood, baby. Yeah. Clint Eastwood and Peck and Pa's Fallout. And Clint Eastwood was like, screw you. I'm going to make Dirty Harry. Forget this nonsense. <laughs> and went and made Dirty Harry. And then Peck and Pa was like, yeah, okay, I guess I'm out. Peace. And, it looks and like, that's how this all came to fruition. And it looks like Lee Marvin was also in, up for this as well. Eastwood's interesting. It's It's like... I think Eastwood, it's a different movie for one if Eastwood's in it. I think what makes this movie work, talking about the Redford stuff, I think if you have Eastwood coming in as like, I'm going to the mountains to discover nature. I'm too, I don't like the brutal life out there. Like Redford has this kind of innocent charm, even though he, he, he's, he does the brutality of war, this innocent charm where he's coming into it all. Yeah. That I don't know if Eastwood would capture that. I don't think so at all. Yeah. I think Eastwood comes in and you're like, this guy has killed um, people. Yeah, and he, for and, sure. and he wants to continue doing it. It's like what yeah. it feels like. He's just he, looking for an excuse. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, you gave me an excuse. It's time to it's, pay. Yeah, yeah, it's more like, I'm coming here because there's no rules. It's kind of what it feels like if Eastwood shows yeah. up at the beginning of that movie. Yeah, there is a sense of innocence and just like pure wonder. Yeah. And curiosity that he has. Like floppy haired, floppy haired blonde boy leaving society behind to go live in the mountains is what it feels like uh yeah. so yeah i think you need that any film facts this movie that you didn't mention before about the anything with the film um it's interesting so city pollock was so worried with the foreign dubs of this movie uh, because of the stylized dialogue yeah. that he actually uh recruited his friend stanley kubrick to help him wow uh, with the with the dub yeah because he was like if anyone can help me with this it's it's kubrick they met i believe it's some studio editing bay and just kind of became quick friends, just chatting it up, um, you know, well, that, uh, that talking makes, shop. That makes sense why he's later in Eyes Wide Shut. Um, yeah. Pollock. So they basically worked together to knock those out, um, which I thought was really interesting. Wow. Um, and the other part of it is, uh, yeah, Rubenstein and Tim McIntyre, who did the music for this movie, were like babies. They were like, <laughs> ti- they were like up and coming actors had not done much of anything, had not done really much music. I think they had one, Rubenstein had one music credit for uh-huh. this movie on Patty. Uh, another fun fact, the little girl, uh, Quaylen's daughter that's hiding in the, the root cellar mm-hmm. at the very end of the movie is a very young Tanya Tucker. Really? Yes. Wow. She was a, she was a neighbor. Her parents lived uh, very close to Redford and basically begged Redford every single day to let her be in the movie. He was like, fine you'll be in this guy's cellar. Wow. So it's, yeah, it's tiny. She's like probably like 10. She's very young. It's a year. Yeah. It's a year before she's Delta, Delta Dawn. Apparently. Oh no. It's the year. Wow. It's, it's the, the year. It's of? the year she does Delta Dawn. Oh yeah. This must've just put her on a, so she, in the right place. Yeah. Cause she was, she was 14. Cause Delta, Delta Dawn comes out, released April 10th, 1972. So that's a less than a month before Jeremiah Johnson. Wow, what a we- that's a weird connection. 
so so story questions um why is the landmark at that place with a crazy woman yeah the crazy woman's house why i picked that place i don't know if it's i know that they also felt that way about the crazy woman they were like leave her stuff yeah I, that's a good question. Why that particular? Because he had nothing to do with that. Yeah, and there's and, and there's no house. and there's no way for them to find out that he was at that place. Is the yeah. thing. If anything, you would do it at his burned down home. Yeah, that's where I would put it. I mean, I think it's a you need a, a reason for him to go back to society. So it kind of narratively is convenient to have him go back to the same place where he last saw like yeah a person. Yeah. So that was, so, that was just odd. Yeah. That was an odd thing. It just felt that felt felt a little too convenient. Or he's like, "What's this?" And it's like, "Oh, this is this is for you or whatever." And it's like, "Why is this here? <laughs> he didn't live here." It is very strange. He's like, "Yeah, they leave stuff here all the time." Yeah, I never never hear him coming. Yeah, I have one last question. With the last last okay. question I have is like, "What really happened to Jeremiah Johnson at the end?" Or in reality, but also at the end of the movie, I guess. And so at the end, they, you know, they wanted to have him die at the end. Yeah. Um, but then Redford was like, no, it needs to be ambiguous, like real life. But even in real life, like this man did all of these things happen for the most part. He has this like vendetta, blood vendetta against the the Crow tribe. Yeah. yeah. He, you know, that happens for years. After all that settles itself down, um, he basically finds common ground with him and they have kind of this respect for each other where it's like, you know, you're never going to kill me. We might as well exist in peace. Yeah. yeah. And they kind of have this like, okay, like now we're at least we're on a, uh, a place where this is going to stop. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to just stop sending people after me. But then he somehow gets roped into, uh, helping the army again. Oh God. <laughs> so him and a bunch of the mountain men and some native Americans are going to help the army with something that they all have mutual interest or mutual like obligation in. Yeah. And he works with them. Then ends up joining the army again, goes North with them. Okay. Uh, he settles into a town, I believe in Wyoming and becomes a deputy sheriff in this town, moves back into town, has a life there. Um, Goes back into the army again after all of this, after his whole stint as a mountain man, joins in the army again, and then ultimately ends up dying of old age in a veteran's home in Santa Monica. Wow. Yeah. This man lived a full life and died an old, old man. He might be buried near me. He might be buried near me. I know. That's why when we started this episode, I was like, Brandon's going to get a kick out of this. But (laughs) yeah, he, he died in L.A. Wow, yeah, because he says it's buried in a veteran cemetery, which makes because I know where that's. I know there's a big VA cemetery over here, so it's probably yeah, it's probably near John Johnston. Sam, uh, yeah, so yeah, Sam, there's a the, uh, yeah, I, I'll say I live on the west side, uh, and and yeah, there there's a VA over here, so yeah, he's wow, hundred and twenty two years, baby, we're finally here. Um, wow, <laughs> yeah, I was talking to Thomas about this actually when we were. Doing, I was doing research. Oh, he, his body was moved. Okay, his body was moved to Cody, Wyoming. Okay, so he's not here anymore. They moved. Okay, his, they moved I think his, that's where he was. Yeah, he he like had a whole another life after all of this happened in Wyoming, and was he lived a fully functioning life in society. Yes, yeah, so he's he's buried in L.A. Veteran Cemetery in 1990 uh, after a six month campaign led by 25 seventh grade students and their teacher. Johnson's remains were relocated to Cody, Wyoming. His epitaph re- reads: "No more trails." He's the last Abitaph, one. Yeah. Last one. It's interesting. 
you know, he, his, his friendship with Del Guiu lasted, um, his pretty much his whole second half of his life. Del, uh, was a very, and Chris Lapp, a uh, bear claw, uh-huh. uh, and hatchet Jack to an extent. Uh, he didn't die early on. Like they were all very, very close. Oh, interesting. Um, and they, their kind of circles always interacting. Cause by the time I got to the point in the book where we're like, the end of the movie was it was like there's still three hours of this audiobook left <laughs> i was like what the hell's going on so yeah they they that friendship with dell continued on um wow into his older years and it's really it's fascinating actually to see um this the, the circle yeah like leaving society only to come back to it in the end yeah and die in LA. And die in LA, LA of swore, all places. You swore off society, and you're like, you know where I want to die. I mean, the biggest city this on this coast. Granted, let's L- go. LA in 1900 is not the same LA nowadays. Like it was very no, but still, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's still just it's funny. fascinating. Yeah. It's ironic to see to see, um, see him go that far. No, LA at that point was. I think is LA at that point was still like very wide open spaces, and so a little bit more west coast nature than than mountains yeah. But so yeah it's it but it's it's yeah thomas and i we were talking about it um and he was saying it's funny how many of these old cowboys ended up in la they did in california he's yeah. like because you wyatt know earp did. Uh, wyatt earp's buried in san francisco and he's like imagine you're at a party with a bunch of studio people and you're like oh so what who are you what do you do and he's like i'm wyatt earp and you're like what yeah Wyatt, Wyatt Earp. He's like, it's crazy. Wyatt earp helped with stunts uh with certain movies back in the day when he first came to la um, Cowboys really would be the stuntmen of today. Yeah, they would. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. It's like he. Uh, I think he was friends with um, with John Ford, if I'm not mistaken, because that was the thing about with my darling Clementine. They said was the most realistic to the gunfight OK Corral because Ford had actually heard um, stories from White Earp of what it was like actually at the at the gunfight that's insane um so yeah to have been able to talk to the man who yeah that. <laughs> that is that is crazy all right so awards beatrice straight award actor actress limit scenes that kills it it's hard to do some of these because they're a lot of people with the same amount of screen time yeah yeah because i it's I'm, difficult i almost want to put the crazy woman in beatrice straight um because I wonder if Dell and Bearclaw are considered supporting, even though they're only in like a, a few scenes. I feel like they're in there. Like there's like a sequence with each of them kind of thing. So I feel like they're in supporting category. I, I would say I either have Crazy Woman, maybe my man Matt Clark as Quaylen, um, are kind of my two. Yeah, my. I mean, I don't know. It depends on how you want to break this no, down into limited scenes. Yeah, say, say, say your person, you think. I don't think it counts, because if we're going to go with someone who is barely in the movie, Quaylen is a pretty good get, a pretty good bet. I The crazy woman, she's really good. Yeah. Um, She's almost too much. That's fair. Moment. That's fair. But at the same time, like I, I would probably be the same way in the yeah. same situation, so who am I to say that? It's such a contrast between the rest of the movie and then, like, all of a sudden, this freaking out mm-hmm. uh, person. You're like, what the hell's going on? Um, I think I could be down with that. Quaylen seems like a little bit of a stretch because he's in literally, like, that one little bit. Um, yeah. For me. But I do think the crazy woman, I, I could get on board with crazy okay, woman. Okay, so we'll go crazy woman. Uh, that's her character name. We're not just saying 
that because she's crazy. She plays crazy in the movie. Her little, yeah, look it her up. little credited na character name is Crazy Woman. We will now sing. Shall we gather at the river where bright angel feet have trod? With its crystal tide forever flowing by the throne of God. Yes, we'll gather at the river, the beautiful, the beautiful river. All right, next we have the Annie Potts X Factor Award. I think it's between two people you have here. It's only there can only be two people. This could be yeah. It's pretty. It's between between Bearclaw and Del Gu. I for me, I lean towards Bearclaw. Um, even though I think Del Gu is fun, I think Bearclaw is kind of the emotional part. Yeah, he's the heart. I think he's the yeah. heart because I think he's the one. Yeah. I think he's the one that has really seen how much this frontier has changed he jeremiah yes but also still has a sense of like uh, happiness yeah about him like, like i'm proud it, of you yeah it could break you but also he's he's toughened but also still like joyful yeah so yeah i it's a it's a heart line that you have to have and there's some anchor to that yeah, side of it it's their great moment when like johnson's like you wouldn't know what month what month the year it is and then and then he's like and then johnson's like i think it's march or april and i think that's when he kind of just like oh, he has no clue how far like he's he's seen he's seen so much of here he has no clue what time of year or like how long he's actually been out here is kind of the thing. I think he, what he realizes he's like, I think it's March or April. He's like, not April, maybe March, but it's, it's too snowy for April. Like this, we're, we're in the yeah. thick of this thing right now. Um, but no, I, yeah, I think Will gear is, is the actress, actor's fascinating name. story of Will gear. If you ever yeah, read his, I'm looking bio. at the wall. He, he was in the Waltons, but he was blacklisted by Hollywood in the, uh, uh, the fifties. Cause he refused to name people who were in the communist party. Yeah, he got into the Communist Party because he was married and then also started having a, a, a relationship with a man at a theater that he worked at. Oh, wow. He was married with three kids and then uh, started having that relationship and then was like, yeah, let's do this. And he went for it and he, you know, lived his truth. Shout out to Will Gear. Hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. But um, it's he's fascinating. And then to end up being this like mountain man figure. um, yeah, man. And, and a lot, Super interesting guy. And a lot of westerns in the Searchers and Winchester seventy three plays Wyatt Earp. A lot, a lot of different western movies. Uh, pretty much works. God works from from nineteen thirty two to nineteen seventy nine, and pretty much is consistently working from nineteen forty forty eight to seventy nine. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Was it? Was it? Even even I guess when he was blacklisted, he was it was still working for the most part. I am Bearclaw Chris Lapp, blood kin to the grizzler that bit Jim Bridger's ass. You are molesting my hunt. And I am. I know I... who you are. You're the same dumb pilgrim I've been hearing for twenty days and smelling for three. <clears throat> How come you ain't been scalped? <laughs> Ain't been too lucky, huh? No. This place has been trapped out since 25. What are you doing here, then? I hunt Grizz. 
Grizz? Grizzly bears, Pilgrim. I collect the claws. All right, the Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. I mean, it's tr- I mean, I, it's two people. I hate this for Pollock. I hate this for Pollock, <laughs> but it's Redford. And Pollock, hey man, you put your money on the line. Yeah. But if it wasn't for Redford, I don't know if it would have meant anything. It's it's so. the thing is, it's very much a it, even though Pollock's directing it, it's there is this co-partner, this partnership between the two. It's like against Redford's kind of land. He's he's also putting everything out there that's not usually what an actor would do. Um, he so yeah, it's it's a mixture of both. It's very much. I think reputations are on the line for both of them, and Redford's also the one that brings Pollock into it. Is the thing, but then performance-wise, I think he great arc of his character. He really kind of carries carries the movie as a performer as well. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. And he carries it as a performer. I mean, he really works his ass off the whole time. It's, yeah, this it's it's Robert Redford all day long. It's, you know, there's no knock on Pollock. Can't go through here. Why not? Crow burial ground. Sacred. We'll have to turn around and head east. How far east? Next pass. 20, 20 mile or so. Johnson, those people are down there waiting for us. Now they are freezing and hungry and scared. Crow don't even come here except with medicine men and bearing parties. Well, we are not crows. What would happen, Johnson? I don't know. I don't know. This is big medicine. They guard this place with spirits. You don't believe that? It doesn't matter. They do. You've been up here too long, Johnson, believing in this. What chance would I have of finding a way through myself just by riding west? Poor chance. Or none. Final questions. If this movie was remade today, who would you cast? That's a spicy take. Who all do you have? Who all do you have again? I've got I've got Jeremiah, Bearclaw, Delgue, and Swan. Okay. And paints his shirt red. Okay. Do start let's start with paints his shirt red. Michael Gray Eyes who played Sitting Bull and Woman Walks Ahead and uh, was on True Detective Season 3. He was the guy who was the, the trash guy. He's great. He was in Fear the Walking Dead. He was phenomenal. He's in uh, Rutherford Falls right now with Ed Helms on Peacock. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has this, like, fierceness about him. Like an intensity. Yeah. But also, like, a like a softer side. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was in Smoke Signals back in the day. Who's he play? Was he was he in True Detective season three again? He was the guy. He was the guy who collected trash and threw it into the. Uh, uh, okay. He was like collecting like just pieces of cars and stuff and collecting them in his backyard. Yeah. I think ultimately he was like he was like a veteran. Yeah. Who, uh, when they started coming for him, he basically like sh- he had the shootout at the house. Yes, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Him. He was great. Yeah. Another guy you could also throw in there is. Um... I was gonna say the first instinctive answer was Gil Birmingham. Because uh-huh. I love Gil Birmingham and everything. Yeah. And then I was like, I think Gil Birmingham would actually be better as the chief, the flathead chief. Flathead chief, yeah. And have mild gray eyes for uh, pants, paints his shirt red. And then you, you said you have uh, Swan next. I, age-wise, I think it works. Uh, Amber Midthunder. Uh-huh. The trailer for Prey looks sick. Uh, I think she could do it. Yeah, and you can, uh, you know. I mean, it, the thing is, what I'm also kind of, put in perspective it's like if you're doing this time period i feel like you can have this character younger than whoever we cast for jeremiah 
because at this point they wouldn't care about ages like like the name it's like she's i think she's 25 or whatever but like yeah. he's trying to marry off his daughter i don't think i don't think it's a gift is kind of the idea is oh you give me all these horses and this i have to give you something here's my daughter who i need to marry yeah. and so yeah so it works it's it's an age gap that that modern day society would not like but it's also like they there she would be not she would she would be of age and she would be in her twi- mid 20s but she but the person we brought we might cast coming in their 30s so i'll just say that out loud now but yeah okay so Dell, who do you have for Dell? tried and true jesse plimmons all day long that's not a bad deal yes i think jesse plimmons like game night version of jesse plimmons would excel as Dell. like he he had he has the range to go crazy and be weird yeah, uh, I think if you let you know, he honestly to play Del Gu, he has to go off the range a little bit more than I think we've seen him. Yeah, uh, potentially ever. Could, so yeah, I think Jesse Plymouth would have a lot of fun playing Del Gu, and I think, uh, yeah, I think he would be really uh, uh, old. Uh, older version I had was Woody Harrelson. Um, Ooh, that's a good call because because it's like I, I'm trying to think of the character again. Like you got to think is you think is untrustworthy, but also like is it ends up being a trusted friend in some way i really like woody harrelson that's a really good pick okay so like, what it's a really good pick i think woody harrelson okay woody harrelson for that um bear claw who do you have for bear claw i cannot get it out of my head after watching outer range will Patton is perfect for bear claw oh, that's a good that's a good that is will a good Patton pick. is so perfect for he is they, an outer range he is allowed to do the most strange and weird like fun things that I've never seen him do before in his career. And like, it is, I mean, like, you know, I know we've talked about Will Patton, like early, early Will Patton roles being weird, but like, this is just so different from everything I've seen him in. He's, he can go in this like kind of like a, just kind of slightly strange, but still having fun. Yeah. But he still has that level of like, I'm a, I'm a, Oh cowboy! No, he's great. Just telling you a story. I mean, I, he's good in Yellowstone because he, he kind of has this like mentorship thing he has with Wes Bentley's character as his, like as as the father. Yeah, he Will Patton's having a very good like. He's having run, a nice little run here. Run of yeah. late, like I hadn't seen Will Patton in a long time, but he pops up in Yellowstone. He was in uh uh Minari or Minari, um in twenty twenty. He's in the Halloween movies. Like he's he's having a good little run these past like five, six years. Um, all right. For Jeremiah, it's a spicy I have one. a couple picks down. Okay. Who, who do you, who do you have? How many, or I do, it's gonna, do you have one I'm person? Make a lot of enemies. Yeah. I, okay. I can only really see one person cause he looks just like him. Okay. And it's, I know it's problematic. It's army hammer. Oh yeah. I don't have army hammer down for that. <laughs> Dude, army hammer. If you look at Redford and a picture of army hammer, like young Redford, they look. I mean, sh- almost exactly alike. Sure, uh, I think I think right now, uh, casting Army Hammer in a movie is not the smartest choice. I in definitely the world. agree, but like yeah. I do think I do think as far as look goes, I mean it's basically like the same exact look of the person. Yeah, maybe from a from a character standpoint of like you know measure of a man, maybe Army Hammer is not the move here. Yeah, I don't, I don't think. Uh, yeah, uh, I got. I mean, I know, I know, I can make Thomas happy. Say Glenn Powell. I mean, Glenn Powell's good. I don't know if this is a Glenn Powell role. So here, here's kind of my. I got, I got, I got four names down. Okay. For Jeremiah. Variety of ages here. I'll go. I'll go. I got Chris Pine. I could see that. Damn. I think Chris Pine would love that too. Um, I got Ewan McGregor. Eh. He, he's. He, I like Chris Pine more. Yeah, yeah. I have Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. It's possible. I love Chris Hemsworth. So it's possible. 
Yeah. My my I love Chris Pine. My favorite pick though, Bradley Cooper is who I have. That's kind of my favorite pick. I think Bradley Cooper would be perfect, actually. I think I think and I'm sad that I picked Army Hammer <laughs> and not Bradley Cooper. Cooper just has because it's like I'm trying to think who has like a Redford quality and it's him. Brad Pitt Brad Pitt was always kind of the go to for Redford a little bit, but I think he's he's aged out of this Jeremiah role. But I think Cooper fits kind of perfectly as someone who could come in kind of bright eyed and then by the end of it be just completely like has succumbed to the frontier is the thing. He's he's a real geek now. Yeah. 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 I I just I so I think Cooper could easily play that very well. Just yeah, and I don't I don't know if he directs it too or he gets someone else to direct it. I'm not sure. But yeah, I think Cooper would be great for Jeremiah. All right. Does this film fit with any other genres outside of the Western? I mean, it's a frontier movie, which is we're saying Frontier like survival movie. It's, I think. I would, survival, I think survival movie, movies. Yeah. I think like this, I think The Edge with Hopkins and, and Alec Baldwin. I love that movie. I watch that movie all the time. I've never like, seen uh, like, I've never seen that movie. I, it's it's not the best movie in the world. <laughs> But it's it's a movie about a couple of guys who were stuck in a love triangle, then they get crashed in in the middle of Alaska and have to I, fin, like basically rely on each other to survive. It's, I have literally you know, never heard of this movie. I gotta be real with you. I've never heard of this movie until now. It was another hunting camp classic. <laughs> let me tell you what. All right, last question: um, Has this film fit within the western genre? Well, you have this idea of like western expansion a little bit in some way, like this like connection to the land. Like we haven't really discovered that. We've talked a little bit about that with like Stagecoach of like a new start type thing that that John Wayne has the end and it's the, a land is kind of this beginning of the new start. Um, it's not with the manifest destiny. Kind of the idea of the western. It's like we're moving forward, and but we're at, because this is a revisionist thing. We're kind of at the end where like he's moving forward, but by the end of the movie, it's like well, I have to go up north, like you talked about. I have to go to Canada because everything's already been found everything's trapped out yeah everything's trapped out gotta go up north and so he keeps trying to push his way out of it is the thing um but yeah it's it's very much it's evolved to something new as time has gone on or or it evolved into something else like if you do it in the 30s it's very different movie um so it's very much of it's interesting that peck and pa was up for it because that would make sense because he was doing so many revisionist westerns at that time post wild bunch um so yeah but yeah, I think that's it on Jeremiah Johnson. How do you how do you feel? I feel like I finally my knowledge of Jeremiah Johnson is put to good use. Finally. There we go. My dad, who will probably never listen to this, <laughs> would be so proud that we talked about Jeremiah Johnson. Johnson for two hours. I love the movie. Um it's not a very attainable movie. You can't like go stream out anything unless you have canopy. Yeah, stream on canopy right now, which is for free if you use your library uh, service. And if you don't, ha- if your library doesn't have it, go tell them that you want it, and they'll probably try to get it because it's free. I highly recommend the Blu-ray uh, option or watching it in whatever high definition quality you can watch it. This is a beautiful film. Yeah, it is. It's worth it. it. Is. Um, but yeah, I feel like we covered this story front to back pretty thoroughly yeah. um and hopefully everyone goes out and watch this movie because it is if you haven't seen it already i do think you will walk away loving it yeah you, or at least just appreciate you'll be, effe- it you'll be it affected exists. by it in some way you'll be affected yeah by you'll it. think about yeah. it and the next time you see snow you'll think about jeremiah johnson yeah i'm sitting There's, yeah i'm sitting out there hatchet jack 
Um, but next week is our final episode of our Western series, our Western month, and we're talking about the Coen Brothers remake of True Grit, the 2010 remake of True Grit. So Thomas will be back to talk about that. Um, so stay tuned for that. I think it's streaming on Netflix at the moment if you guys want to watch it beforehand. Um, but that's all we have for in this episode. If you're a fan of the show or a new listener, make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast so you stay updated on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you write us a review on whatever preferred platform you listen to the show on. These reviews help us kind of gain exposure. We like hearing from you guys. Five stars if you can. It helps the show grow, and we need that from you guys. So please help us support us, support us and thank you for supporting us as long as you guys have. Um, and finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that jazz. Hunter, thank you again for coming out and joining me and talking about Jeremiah Johnson. It's been a pleasure, Brandon. This has been a long time coming. <laughs> a, truly a dream realized. Dream realized. Uh, and, th- and thank you all for listening. Hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.